When I was in my teens, I loved New Year's Eve. As a young teen, it meant retrospectives of the year's top music videos on MTV, back when they showed music videos. And at midnight, the premieres of new videos from hot artists such as REO Speedwagon and Hollow Notes. It meant best of lists in People Magazine, award show fashion flashbacks, and all things pop culture that I would just gobble up. When I was slightly older, New Year's Eve meant money. I got great babysitting gigs on those nights, and parents would stay out from 7 p.m. until 2 a.m. and pay me up to $50 for the privilege of hanging out with their kiddos and not eating all the Oreos. And that didn't include the tip. Ah, those heady days. In college, it became about looking for epic New Year's Eve parties back home in Denver. I remember in my early 20s, one New Year's Eve, when the temperatures were below zero, driving around in my barely heated VW Bug, trying to figure out which party my friends had gone to. My college boyfriend and I drove to my favorite coffee shop to see if we could get the scoop. This was pre, pre, pre cell phone. And we found someone who told us that my friend Martin was having a party at his house. So we drove to where he lived and experienced an excellent party that to this day, I still have very little memory of thanks to the mystery punch. It was only in my mid to late twenties that I became interested in making resolutions for the new year. I think that part of the reason for my delayed interest in resolutions is that for me, the new year began at the beginning of the school year, not in the dead of winter. As a student, I loved getting ready for the new school year. I savored buying new school supplies, deciding how to organize my folders, making trips to office supply stores where I would get positively giddy picking out new pens. The start of the school year was a time of new beginnings, new teachers, new friends, while keeping the old friends, of course. I would try to figure out ways to keep my locker and backpack and desk from descending into the seemingly inevitable chaos that I always had to cope with by Christmas. I never really came up with a system, but I did eventually learn to work with my natural inclination towards stacking. Another natural time for renewal and rebirth for me is springtime. Why try to resolve to be a better person when it's cold and rainy or snowy when you can time your metaphorical rebirth with that of the flowers? Basking in the sunshine, opening up new buds of potential at the same time as the trees and perennials always made sense to me. Turns out that I am not alone in this thinking. A simple search on Google for the terms spring renewal turns up several articles on the concept of spiritual renewal. Deepak Chopra's website has an article on spring renewal and refreshing your mindset. Modern pagans celebrate the vernal equinox, otherwise known as Ostara, as a time of renewal and rebirth. But back to New Year's resolution. As I said earlier, 
I took to the concept rather late in the game. This might have been due to the fact that people's resolutions always seemed to revolve around what they perceived was wrong with them. And it isn't like our society has any vested interest in correcting this assumption. Think about it. Gyms have huge sales at the beginning of the calendar year when people are resolving to lose weight. And this year at 12.01 a.m., Weight Watchers started advertising their new program and pricing structure during the Rockin' New Year's Eve television program. Like many people, I made resolutions that centered around me being flawed and in need of becoming better. Losing weight was always a perennial solution. Exercising more was another, as was get more organized. I would buy memberships to gyms that I would go to maybe three or four times total. I would spend money on workout clothes that became more useful as slouchy Saturday clothes. Back when Weight Watchers meetings were mandatory, I would go and sulk, peeved that I had to spend my slouchy Saturday listening to women, for it was mostly women, talk about how to beat the system. I would buy fancy, expensive planner systems with stickers and tabs and all sorts of who what's its and never use them because they were too big to fit into my purse. I would try to do bullet lists, but get frustrated at all the work it took to do the bullet list. And then I would berate myself for not being dedicated to my resolutions for not having the wherewithal to accomplish what others did so simply. So I stopped making resolutions. Honestly, I could feel bad about myself without them, frankly. I think that is the problem with the way that most of us look at the process of making resolutions. We look at ourselves as deficient, as being less than, and we make resolutions that pander to this thought process. Don't believe me? Well, in doing research for this sermon, I came across a list of the top 10 resolutions according to the online learning platform, goskills.com. They are exercise more, lose weight, get organized, learn a new skill or hobby, live life to the fullest, save more money or spend less money, quit smoking, spend more time with family and friends, travel more, read more. You'll notice that most of these resolutions function from a deficit perspective. That is, we are deficient in some way and we need to make these resolutions to become better people. It's true, we are not perfect beings, but perhaps we would benefit from looking at resolutions from a different outlook. Instead of assuming that we are deficient, perhaps we could assume that we are just it's a lot of pressure to try to be perfect, my friends. Why do we need to make resolutions to bring ourselves to an unachievable level of perfection? According to an article from the New York Times dated, oh, yesterday, a lot of people made resolution, make resolutions that are not meaningful to them. Thus, they fail at them. In fact, most resolutions don't make it past the second week 
of February. In addition, many resolutions fail because they're not the right type of resolutions. Think back to that list of top 10 resolutions or maybe some that you have made in the past. These resolutions may be off for one of three reasons. Number one is a resolution based on what someone else or society is telling you to change about yourself. Number two, it's too vague. Or number three, you don't have a good plan for achieving your resolution. Think about the intent that lies behind the resolution. As Mark Twain said with regards to New Year's Day, now is the accepted time to make your regular annual good resolutions. Next week, you can be again paving hell with them as usual. Intention is all well and good. The roads to hell would be nothing without them. But why are you making these resolutions? Because you should? Because someone else thinks you should? Remember, you are enough as you are. However, if you are still determined to make resolutions, your resolutions benefit from being SMART, S-M-A-R-T. SMART is an acronym that was developed in the business and management world in the early 1980s. It stands for Specific, Measurable, Achievable, Relevant, and Time-Bound. This means instead of making vague resolutions like, I'm going to lose weight, just because someone asked you if you were pregnant, you can make a resolution that is SMART. By June of this year, I will lose 10 pounds of fat by no longer eating pizza every Friday and giving up soda, work on my muscle core strength and improve my posture by going to yoga class three times a week, and start seeing a therapist once a week about my low self-esteem so that I don't burst into tears when the cashier at Smart and Final asks me when the baby is due. You see, a resolution like this is annoyingly specific, measurable by different parameters, achievable, yes, even the self-esteem part, relevant, and bound by a time limit. Plus, it gets down to the real issue, self-esteem, and doesn't dwindle on what others think of you. It puts control of the resolution in your hands. This month's theme being that of intention, we could consider doing away with resolutions altogether and make instead New Year's intentions. According to an article from AARP.com, updated December 29th, 2021, resolutions tend to be hard and fast endpoints that can either be achieved or broken. Intentions, on the other hand, are larger, grander, and are about the journey, not the destination. Psychologist Diana Robb says that intentions are the beginning of a dream or desire that you want for yourself, that intentions are, quote, something you want to manifest in your life or some guiding principle that you want to live by, end quote. For some of us, this is more useful than a smart resolution. Intentions are geared towards broader, less specific goals, such as becoming healthier, 
However, an intention can also be a specific word to focus on for the year, such as joy or freedom. Then you would use that word as the impetus for your actions for the year. But Ayana, you might be saying, after all this that you've said, I still don't think I can handle a resolution. And how can I possibly live a life of intention if I can't get my sorry butt to the gym on a regular basis? And to borrow a phrase from the movie, The Princess Bride, this word, intention, you keep using this word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Here's the thing. Remember that guilt need not be a part of the resolution process. If we are unable to keep a resolution, why let ourselves feel guilty about it? One thing we can do to mitigate the guilt factor is to not use the word should in our resolutions or intentions. Not only does the word reek of shame and guilt, it also gives us an easy out. And another thing, we can still lead lives with intention without making resolutions. I'll let you in on a little secret. I still don't make resolutions and that is because of my mindset. What do I mean by mindset? Well, I'm talking about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Folks with a growth mindset, according to psychologist Carol S. Dweck, believe that abilities can be developed, that the mind is flexible and is capable of growth. Those with a fixed mindset believe that abilities are fixed, that the mind is not capable of growth. Someone with a growth mindset believes that they can learn from what might be perceived as their failures. Growth mindset is about progress, not about stagnation. So where am I going with this? Okay, I'm a big fan of the growth mindset. I have been working in academic libraries since 1999, and I have seen how students develop and grow over the course of a semester or the course of a college career. I'm also a parent, and I've seen how my boys have learned to open their minds to the idea of progress. Growth mindset also plays a powerful role in our future happiness. To quote an article on growth mindset and resolutions from the charmingly named website Broccoli People, quote, our happiness ultimately depends more on how we face life than on what actually happens in it. We can adopt a growth mindset and understand that each situation has a lesson and it's especially in the face of adversity when we grow the most. It's in those situations when we are forced to reconsider our beliefs, ideas, goals, priorities, and meaning of the world and replace them with new ones when they are not valid anymore." End quote. In my personal experiences with resolutions, I have found that I am too ready to make them about what others think or say about me. I therefore feel guilty, stupid, and inept when I fail at them. This lesson has been learned many times, thanks to my growth mindset, and thus I have decided I do not make resolutions. However, I allow myself to make intentions 
when the time is right. This is a lesson that I have learned as someone in academic librarianship. You see, we academic librarians love doing instruction for classes and for students at what is called time of need. That is, we prefer to do the teaching or of research and reference skills when those skills are actually needed. Unfortunately, many professors don't understand this and instead schedule us to come into their classroom at the beginning of the school year when it's convenient for them. At that point, there's no actual assignment to which to pin the instruction to. So students, as a result, don't care about the library instruction, have no reason to practice the techniques and skills we teach them, and rapidly forget about them and all about the library until they are given a library-based assignment, at which point they then panic. Then they come into the library sheepishly asking for instruction. I had a librarian come into my class and they talked about something called databases, but I don't remember the details. This does a disservice to the students as well as to the librarians. So what I am saying is that true intention comes into play in my life when I see the need for it. I don't wait for the calendar to tell me when I need to make a guilt change base, a guilt based change in my life. I instead make changes when I need to, based on my own parameters. I accept that I may fail at keeping the attention alive in my everyday life, but I try not to beat myself up about it and instead come up with methods that work to, for me. As a grown woman with ADHD, yes, we do exist, I acknowledge that I have certain areas of weakness when it comes to organization, but instead of buying planners like I'm supposed to. I make up my own planning systems that work for me based on lessons I have learned through the growth mindset and through past experiences. And I intend to use those planning systems to help me keep on top of things, even if it means I am sometimes writing my sermon early Sunday morning. So you see, we can live lives of intention without resolutions, but if making resolutions is a custom that you hold dear, please continue to do so. Just know that there are ways in which you can make them with intent and make them work for you. So may it be.